0: Turn, if you would, to the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew. We have entered the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is chapters 5, 6, and 7, and we've been in them for a few weeks, working our way through it. About seven years ago, my eldest daughter got engaged in December and was to be married in April. And my wife had a brief moment of panic, how am I going to plan a wedding in four months? Now you have to understand, my wife knows more about weddings than most people on the planet. She was actually a wedding director here at the church for many, many years. At the time, she was teaching a literature class for a homeschool co-op that we belonged to. So I told her, I cannot plan a wedding, but I can teach literature. So for the spring semester, I would leave work, come home for a couple of hours one day a week, and teach literature to a bunch of high schoolers. And there was one young lady, sweet Christian young lady. She is a sweet married Christian young lady today. And every time she would turn in an assignment, every time she would turn in an assignment, she would hand it to me, and she would tell me, don't judge me. Every time, don't judge me. Why would she say that? What did she expect me to do? Not read the assignment? Just put a grade at the top of it and be done with it? What did she expect? Today we're going to talk about what may be, in today's world, the most quoted verse in the Bible. I have no statistics for this at all, It is just pure speculation on my part that this verse gets quoted more often than anything and they have no idea what it means when they quote it. Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you see, it will be measured to you. We're going to talk about judgment We're going to talk about me judging you because I don't like the way... Well, frankly, I don't like your shirt. It stinks. Or I don't like the way you drive your car. Or I don't like the way you raise your family. Or I don't like the way you cook. Or I don't like the... And I continually make judgments of other people. But that's probably not what it's talking about here. What it's talking about is the pharisaical idea... That I am going to judge you by a standard that no one in the known universe could probably live up to. I am going to live a life of a judgmental spirit where I am going to condemn you for everything that's in your life. Remember, we started in... The middle of chapter 5 with Jesus saying, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then the rest of chapter 5 is a discussion about the law as an external only thing and Jesus' interpretation as The law is a matter of the heart. You've heard it said, don't kill anybody, which is true. Don't kill anybody. But I say to you, if you're angry with them, you've already committed murder. You've heard it said, don't uh, commit adultery. But I say to you, if you've lusted after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. And in chapter 6, we covered doing good things for the wrong reasons. The Pharisees were very good at doing good things to be seen by men. When you give your gifts, don't let anybody know. In fact, to the greatest greatest extent possible, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. How do you do that? You work at hiding it. When you pray, don't let the world see it. Don't do it to show off. Don't stand on the street corner so people will think you are great and wonderful because you are praying. When you fast, Even when you're fasting, don't let people know what you're doing. And then we talked about worrying. Some people said they spent all week worrying about worrying. I don't know. (laughs) All of these, all of these are what the Pharisees were doing, thinking they were being righteous by doing so. And he finally gets to chapter 7, and you know, right, that the chapter breaks weren't in the, we added those so we'd know where we were. We get to chapter 7 and he says, don't judge because if you judge other people, you will be judged in the same way. And we live in a society that continually looks at us as believers and says, y'all, you are being judgmental. A survey was done of young people, that is, under the age of 35. 90%, percent nine zero percent think the church is judgmental. Why do they think that? There's two possible reasons. One, it's true. (laughs) Which may be true. Or two, they don't know what being judgmental means, which is probably true also. We're going to talk about both of those today. Why do we feel compelled to judge other people? And don't tell me you don't do it. You feel better about yourself. You know, I don't have to be perfect, but as long as I'm better than you, I'm okay. (laughs) I was reading an article about wealth this week. And you know what's more important than absolute wealth? Relative wealth. As long as I can say I have more money than fill in the blank, I'm okay. But the moment I can't say that, then I'm uh, I'm in trouble. You know, it's the old story, you know. I, I'm going to give you a million dollars, but I'm going to give your next-door neighbor two million. Is that okay with you? Or I'll give you 500000 and I won't give your neighbor anything. Guess which one we choose the most. I want the 500000 because it makes me better than... It's irrational, but we do it. We judge other people in order to make ourselves look better. We do this all the time. We read the newspaper. Oh, I'm better than them. I'm better than them. I'm better than... We don't say that, but that's what we're thinking. Why else do we judge people? Come on, I'm asking a question. Hmm? Make us feel better. Make us feel more important. Maybe we're just sinners. And we just enjoy it. Maybe we're right. Maybe we are right. Maybe it is wrong what they're doing. We judge people because it enhances our position. And the problem with judging people is there's no love associated with it. What is the difference between judging someone and being concerned about their behavior? You know, it's kind of like last week's lesson we talked about worrying, right? You worry, I'm just concerned. And we play this word game to make you look bad and me look good. And we do that with judgment. I'm just illustrating discernment. You're being judgmental. Usually, you're being judgmental when I'm the object of the judgment, Okay, That can't be good. So we have a difficulty with the Word because we are told to make discernments in the Scripture. And in fact, we are told that at some point in the future, we, the believers, are going to judge the world. Just not today. We're also told in the Scriptures that there is only one judge. And guess what? You're not it. It's God. Or you could say it's Jesus. There's some discussion about that. But since Jesus is God, we'll go with that answer. We are told to judge the behavior of believers within the church. We are told to not judge the, be- the behavior of those outside the church because they're just doing what they're supposed to do. Yes, go ahead. Exactly, it says sometimes we're instructed to make a judgment, a discernment about the friends we have, the people we hang out with, more about that in just a moment. What is the number one distinction between being judgmental and being concerned for another another person? And that is, The existence or non-existence of love. If one of my children is doing something that I know they ought not be doing, I am concerned about them, but I have love toward them and I want what is best for them. Trust me, the Pharisees never showed love toward those who they were judging. So how do we know if we have a judgmental spirit? We're not showing love. We're not showing love to those around us. We're going to continue this lesson and then we're going to come back. Because all of this ties together. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? This is genuine sawdust. So I'm going to take a piece of it, one piece of it, one tiny minuscule piece of it, and I'm going to stick it in your eye. (laughs) And guess what? You're going to notice it. All of us have lived through the agony of having something in our eye. It just irritates the fool out of us. I remember on occasion sticking my head into the bathtub and opening my eyes trying to hope that the thing would float away. It's just that big. Why does it irritate us so much? Because it's in a very sensitive spot. I mean, let's face it. The eyeballs are really sensitive. My wife just had LASIK to fix her eyes, and she's put it off for five years because just the thought of somebody touching her eyes just made her cringe. We have this running joke. I hate going to the dentist. She hates going to the eye doctor. I'm going to go to all of her eye appointments, and she's going to go to all my dental visits. (laughs) Our eyes are exceptionally sensitive to the most minute thing... That's in there. Huh. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Now, at this point, we have to assume that Jesus is making a joke. Okay? I'm going to take this, and I'm going to put it in your eye. It's just not going to fit. Why am I worried about the speck that is in my brother's eye? Now, obviously, this is a metaphor, a picture of something. What kinds of things would I see in you that I would consider an irritant, something bad? Well, I see all kinds of things. I mean, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. That's clear. You're not... Worshipping God as you ought to. You're not going to work like you ought to. You're not loving your, you're just not being what you ought to be. And I can see it and I want to fix it. You're not doing something that I do. You're not doing that I do. And obviously, I am the standard of right and wrong. <laughs> <laughs> or you are doing that of an huh. We're going to get to that in just a moment. And all this time that I'm looking at that speck in your eye, I've got this right here. How can we... I mean, it's a metaphor. But how in the world can I put that in my eye? It's real easy. Because I've gotten used to looking around my faults and my sins, and looking at the faults and sins of other people. Trust me, you've done this. Am I being judgmental? No. I'm the teacher. I'm allowed to do this. I read part of a book this week. I won't even tell you the title of it by some New York Times bestseller author about being judgmental. And as I'm reading this book, I'm saying, so is it okay for me to be judgmental about a book about being judgmental? (laughs) It just was really weird. Except the book was really weird. Anyway, that's a whole different story. What is Jesus telling us? He's telling us that we have things in our vision that are preventing us from truly understanding and dealing with, helping you deal with the speck that is in your own eye, in the eye of the other person, because I'm blinded by this. Now, this passage has always fascinated me, because at this point, I know what we want to do, okay? I'm going to believe Jesus, okay? I'm going to believe what Jesus is saying. You might have a speck in your eye, but I've got a two-by-four in my eye, and so I'm just going to back off and do nothing. That's what I'm going to do. And I have fulfilled this. I am not a hypocrite. I am not trying to deal with the speck in your own eye because I know I probably have a two-by-four in my own eye. I am off the hook. You cannot call me a hypocrite. Unfortunately, in doing so, we've stopped in the middle of the passage. We didn't finish it. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take out that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Here it comes. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I have an obligation to help you with your speck. I have an obligation to help you deal with the sin in your life. I do. We forget this sometimes that we as a community of believers are a body and we are here to help each other. Go to the book of Proverbs and look up the passages dealing with a reproof. I reprove you for doing something. There's a boatload of them. And guess what? They're all positive. I reprove you and you go, yes, thank you. I needed that. I needed someone to illuminate what was happening in my life. But today, we as believers have reached an agreement. I won't bother you about your sin if you don't bother me about my sin. And we're all happy. So we have believers who get angry, and everybody knows they get angry. And we don't do anything about it because, well, we don't want to be judgmental. Wait, we don't want to be accused of dealing with your speck while I've got a two-by-four in my eye. And we neglect the reality that we have an obligation to help other believers with the sins in their life. Remember in Galatians, we go through the fruit of the Spirit. And before that, we go through the fruit of, well, the bad spirit. Okay, all the bad stuff, and then we go through the good stuff, and then it starts the last chapter, and it says, when someone, when a believer falls into sin, you who are mature, help them. We are to help one another. We have an obligation to help other believers deal with the sawdust in their eyes. But in order to fulfill that obligation, we have a prior obligation to deal with the two-by-fours in our own eyes. What are the two-by-fours in our eyes? Let's just start with the easy one. We're being judgmental. Why are we being judgmental? We don't have love for the other person. Trust me. We see that person with the speck in their eye, and we sit there and go, well, it's probably their fault. If they weren't such a jerk, they wouldn't have had that problem. I hope it just grinds away at them. We don't say that. What is the log that we have to deal with? There was a comment up here. Oftentimes, we see this in Romans chapter 2, Oftentimes, the thing that I want to condemn you for is the thing that I've hidden in my own life. I can see an angry person. Why? Because I live as an angry person. I can bash you because you lust after someone else, because I don't want you to know that I'm doing that. I want the world to know that I'm going to stand up to anybody that's angry. And it's going to make me mad doing it. (laughs) But it's for a good cause. Guess what? It's a two-by-four in my face. And Jesus says, take that two-by-four and get rid of it so that then you can help the other person. How do we get rid of the two-by-four? We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, would illuminate to us what the two-by-four is that is preventing us from helping other people. But guess what? Here's the part you're not going to like. He might tell you. But he might tell you through your spouse, through a friend, through an enemy, through some random thing you read, God's going to tell you, see that two by four? It's in your eye. And you're going to go, yeah, yeah, but you should look at the person who told me. (laughs) No. You ask God to show you, and if you really meant it, he's going to show you. You just may not like the way he shows you. We all have the two-by-four that is preventing us from helping fellow believers with the specks in their own eye. Now, are you saying, Kyle, that this means before I help someone else, I have to be perfect? The only way to ensure that I have no two-by-fours in my eye is to be perfect, right? No. If you wait until you're perfect... To help someone else, you're not going to be helping anybody else, ever. Now, in one sense, that may make you feel good because hey, you're not being a hypocrite, right? This is a condemnation of hypocrisy. No, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to deal with enough two by fours that you know dealing with specs is a hard job. And you can do it with love, empathy, compassion, and a desire to help the other person. If I come to you, well, back to Proverbs and giving a reproof. One example of when you're not ready to give someone a reproof, if you enjoy it. If you're going to enjoy helping someone with their speck, don't do it. But if I've taken out that two-by-four, and trust me, if this was stuck in my eye, it would be a painful procedure to get it out. I don't know how it got in there in the first place. But however it did, it's not coming out easy. But if I remove this from my eye, I have developed the compassion and understanding to go to you and ask, how can I help you with your speck? I'm not judging you for your speck. You want to see what just came out of my eye? Ha ha! Your spec's nothing. Matthew Henry makes the comment that we should continually look at the sins of other people as specs. And we should continually look at our own sins as logs. But what do we do? Ha <laughs> ha, I know what you do. You do exactly what I do. Why do you have that log in your eye? Yeah, I know I've got some specs around somewhere, but they're not that important. We judge the other person's sin as so much greater than our sin. I mentioned in here before, a guy wrote a book, uh, the respectable sins. <laughs> they're just the sins that we're just, I mean, you know, we like people that are proud, that show strength, that go out and do their thing. Do you know what the scripture says about pride? It will destroy you, but you know, that's okay. You know, a little bit of lust, that's okay. Everyone in society does it, right? A little bit of gossip, that's okay. Everybody, I mean, you've got you to tell people other people's problems, right? So you can pray for them. We are so used to our two-by-four that we cannot rightly judge The specks in other people's eyes. Yes. Mm -hmm. We don't want to fake compassion? That's a good thing. (laughs) How How do you not just fake compassion? I come to you. I'm really sorry for your problem. But in reality, I just want you to tell me a little bit more so that I can know what to... What we really want to do with the two by four is whack somebody up the side of the head with it when we when we have through prayer, through help from other believers dealt with the two by four, my belief is that that will produce true compassion if it doesn't, we haven't dealt with the problem in our own life I mean a simple example I have never been an alcoholic before the truth of the matter is I have had one sip of champagne in my life that's all I've ever had to drink so you come to me and you're an alcoholic you're really struggling with it and I look at you and I go well just stop it just don't do it Take that bottle, pour it down the sink, and never do it again. Piece of cake. But what if I had been an alcoholic and I had struggled with that addiction, but through the grace of God, I've said no. I've said no back then. I continually say no every day to this desire. Then when I'm dealing with you, I can say, I know where you've been. I know the struggles. I have compassion for you because I've been there. All of us have been somewhere. All of us have struggled with some sin. If you haven't, it's because you've just got so used to the two by four. I'd better put this down before I throw it. We've gotten so used to the two-by-four in our own eye that we don't know how to deal with it. Now, here's the really cool part. You ready for this? Back to my sawdust. One piece of sawdust. This is the speck in your eye, and I have the two-by-four in my eye. But I need help. Somebody else had a 2 by 4 in their eye that looked like my speck and they dealt with it and now they can help me so I can help you so you can help someone else. That's the way the body is supposed to work. We help each other toward godly behavior. Remember last week's lesson. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness I do not believe well I'll back off a little bit if you were on a desert island by yourself you could probably do the will of God totally by yourself I'm assuming God put you on that island but in general we have our specs and we have our two-by-fours and we need somebody to help us but we're embarrassed I don't want you to know about my spec much less my two-by-four And we all go around with our specs and our two-by-fours and our irritant behavior, and we just don't know how to deal with it. Now, I've got a two-by-four in my eye. I don't know I have a two-by-four in my eye. I don't want to know that I have a two-by-four in my eye. But you know I have a two-by-four in my eye. So you come to me, and you say, Kyle you have a two-by-four in your eye. Have any of you all seen the YouTube video about the nail in the head? Go Google on it. The woman and the man are having trouble, and the man says, she, she keeps complaining that she has these headaches and she doesn't know what to do about it, and he says, well, yeah, there's a nail sticking on your head. <laughs> this big nail is stuck out. No, it's not the nail. All you want to talk about is the nail. Well, if you just... No, I just want your sympathy. Okay, I feel real sorry for your headaches and whatever. And she said, and besides that, all my sweaters keep getting snagged. (laughs) And he says, it's the nail. And he said, no, it's not the nail. That's the way we are. But when you confront me, about my two-by-four, or my speck, a couple of things can happen. I can, and this is what the book of Proverbs teaches us, I can say, thank you, will you help me? Okay? That's a good answer. Or I can tell you to get the blank out of town because I'm not going to listen to you. Who do you think you are? I'm the teacher of this class, and I know better than you are. I've read the Bible. I know what's right and wrong, and you leave me alone. And guess what? We respond like that all the time. Let's keep reading. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, this sounds like a horrible verse. It seems to me that I'm beginning to equate some people with being pigs and wild dogs. That seems like a rather judgmental reflection on my part. Maybe I'm not supposed to judge people by putting them in the category of pigs and dogs because that violates verse 1 of this chapter. But you know, you've come to me to help me with my 2 by 4 or my spec. You've come repeatedly and all I've done is gotten mad at you every time you've done it. Guess what? maybe you need to stop coming to me because nothing that you're doing is being effective. I am trampling it underfoot, and I'm telling you to go away. In fact, you could almost say that you, by sharing it with me, are causing me to sin more in my rejection of the truth that you're trying to present for me to me. So at some point you back off and say, okay, I'm not going to tell you about your spec and I'm not going to tell you about the 2 by 4 I'm just not going to do it. Now, does that mean that I've given up on, that you've given up on me? Not necessarily. You still pray. You hope for an opportunity. My experience is an opportunity will probably come. Usually when this 2 by 4 in front of me causes me to walk into a brick wall. Metaphorically speaking, when some disaster or catastrophe happens in my life, I become aware that something needs to change, and then you can return and say, can I help you? But until that time, we need to understand, we need to understand that more help is being no help at all. Now, we don't like this. We don't like it when it's our grandchildren or our children that we're sharing the gospel with and they are responding negatively to it. We don't want to give up. Don't give up ever. But you might need to go home and pray in your closet. And guess what? The Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There have, been oper- there have been times where Teresa has been sharing the gospel with someone, and I've been there. And at some point, I just kind of say, okay, that's enough for today. I say that in a roundabout way because we've hit a wall. It's not going anywhere. It has to be, we've got to let the Holy Spirit do it. Now, here's the takeaway from all of this, and we'll get back to the first verse. Sometimes we're the one with the speck and we need the help of other people. Sometimes we're the one with the log and we need to deal with the log so we can help the people with the speck. Sometimes when people are trying to help us with our specks and our logs, we act like the pigs and the dogs and we reject them. It is fascinating to me, just in general. We pray to God, God, show me something. And I don't know what we're expecting, a bolt from, of lightning, a voice from heaven. I don't know what we're expecting. But the, thing, the last thing we're expecting is for someone to walk up to us and tell us the answer. <laughs> but you know, that's the way God works. Okay, well, if they say it in the right way. No! There's no guarantee that it's going to be pleasant. The nation of Israel went berserk. What did God do? He sent the Assyrians to teach them not to go berserk. Well, that doesn't sound very fair. The Assyrians were worse than they were, yes, but they weren't in a covenant relationship with God. You are. Sometimes... We're the one with the speck. Sometimes we're the one with the log. Sometimes we're the pig. And sometimes we're the one sharing the pearls. And we need to understand all of this. But what is the thing that ties all this together? Don't be judgmental. What does that really mean? It means dealing with other people... In the absence of love. If I have love for you, I do want you to deal with the sins in your life. But I'm not doing it so that I get some mark on the wall saying, Ah, he did a good deed. I'm doing it out of love and compassion because I know that the path that you're going down leads to destruction. Destruction. That's going to be the lesson in a couple of weeks. We know that. So out of love, we want to help other people. And when we do that, we're not being judgmental. I want to help people, and I know from a lifetime of dealing with two-by-fours that it's not easy. That produces compassion and empathy. So I go to you in love, with compassion, with empathy, and I try to help. I am not being judgmental. But instead, I want you to know that I'm better than you. I really am, by the way. I want you to know that I'm better than you are, so I'm going to teach you such a lesson that you are going to walk away knowing you've been judged. No. Why do we judge other people? Because it makes us feel better. It makes us feel more righteous. Why did the Pharisees do it? Because it was fun. I mean, let's go home today and have lunch and skewer everybody that we saw at church for their hypocrisy. (laughs) Or let's do it before lunch on the way home. Jesus says, don't judge because in the same way that you judge other people, you are going to be judged. Now that you are going to be judged has two possible meanings, both of which I think are right. One of them is in the earthly sense. If I have a judgmental spirit toward you, guess what? other people are going to have a judgmental spirit against me. You know that. You've seen that. I start bickering, and guess what? It just produces more bickering. happens all the time. Every office, every church, every every pick-a-place. It produces more judgment back. And the second half of it, is the judgment of God. Now, we keep getting back to that passage. Well, we've covered it twice so far in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And at the end of the Lord's Prayer, it was, if you do not forgive others, God's not going to forgive you. And you go, oh, shoot, I'm toast. When we are judging other people, it demonstrates that we don't really know what God has done for us. Because I had more than a two-by-four in my eyes. I was a sinner. I am a sinner. I was lost. I was at war with God. Not in some neutral thing of, oh, why can't we all get along? I was at war with God, and God sent his son to die For my sin. Forget you. Me. My sin. How in the world can I sit here and pretend to think that I'm better than you when Christ had to do that for me? Well, I do it because, well, I'm still better than you. And that's what we think in our minds over and over again. Over and over again. And Jesus says, stop that. We judge other people. We judge other people in a variety of different ways. We judge other people's motives. Well, I know why. You did that just to take me off. (laughs) Probably not. I remember reading a novel one time, and a pastor in the novel commented, he caught himself, and he referred to the sin of attributing motive to somebody else. We don't know people's motives. But by golly, I'm going to assume that that political party is doing it just to irritate me. That driver knew that I was in a hurry, so they drove real slow. We don't know why. Why do we attribute the worst? Because it's so much more fun than attributing good motives. We do not know the motives of other people. God is going to judge the hearts of men and women because God knows what the heart is. You and I don't. Don't pretend that you do. Well, I've got a really good insight that you're just a jerk. Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're battling with a speck in their own eye that is driving them crazy. Trust me, you put one of those pieces of sawdust in your eye for a week and you'll be angry at the dog. We don't know. We don't know the motives. Don't pretend that you do. We judge people because they don't look like us. Do you see the way that person dressed over there? it probably demonstrates that they're in rebellion against God. Well, maybe it doesn't, maybe it doesn't. How do I know? All I know for a fact is they're different than me. And by golly, I can't allow that. Did you hear their music? (sighs) And that's the way we judge people every single day. And Jesus says, don't do it. Now, back to the book of Proverbs. Are we to exercise discernment? We are. We are to discern good from bad, evil from righteousness. But if we're not doing it with love, we need to keep our mouths shut. Remember the very end of chapter 5 when it says be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect and we go oh no what does that mean and you back up a few verses and it says God sends his reign on the just and the unjust he treats everyone with common grace you're perfect when you do that yeah but can you believe what they are no, I don't matter it doesn't matter now there may come a time you're casting your pearls they're Mocking them and you back up. One more point and we'll be done. I told you at the beginning that if you ask young people today, 90% will say the church is judgmental. And I said there were two possible answers to that. Number one, we're judgmental. And guess what? We probably are. But there's a second reason that I think they would believe that. We live in a postmodern world. A postmodern world does not believe in absolute truth. It just doesn't. Particularly in the areas of sexual morality. So the moment that I say, thou shall not commit adultery, someone is going to tell me, you're being judgmental. And to that we have to say, I'm sorry. But it's not us It's the scripture that is speaking. And in my opinion, the scripture is powerful. The scripture is going to do its business. But that's not your problem. That's God's problem. That's their problem. We are called to proclaim the truth. So the world may think we're judgmental when we speak the words of God. I remember one time in particular. I was in, well, I was in this class. And I read some verse in the New Testament and somebody said, yeah, but that's just your opinion. And I said, I just read the verse. That's all I did. But in our post-modern world, that's the assumption. If you're arrogant enough to think that you know the truth, you are a judgmental hypocrite. And we have to say, okay, how do we counter that? Let me tell you how we're not going to counter that. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I just know it's not going to work. We are not going to counter that by being judgmental. We're just not. But when we demonstrate love to other people, Love is going to win the day. It may not be today. It may be tomorrow. Ten years from now, you have no idea. The world is going to condemn us because they think we're arrogant because we believe that we have the word of God. Well, we have the word of God. But the word of God tells us to not judge them They're outside the church. They're not our problem. They're God's problem. To live with them with love. And guess what? Sometimes they, with their two-by-four, are going to walk into a brick wall. Reality is going to hit them. And we, as a community of believers, need to be ready to help them. And in order to do that, It means we've dealt with our own two-by-fours. We've dealt with our specs. And guess what? Tomorrow I'm liable to have another one, and tomorrow I'm liable to have another one. And I'll need somebody to help me. But judging people in the absence of love will accomplish nothing. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you did not judge us according to our sins that you bestowed mercy and grace upon us when we were the worst of sinners. I pray, Lord, that we would demonstrate an act of love and not judgment to those around us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.